0: Welcome back to Suiting Up Podcast. I am your host Paul Rabel. I'm a professional lacrosse player in New York and with Team USA. And on this show, I discuss the intersection between sports and business, sports and personal development. And I sit down with professional athletes, entrepreneurs, sports league owners, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and we dive deep in long form audio content. Now, for this show, it's our longest interview, but hopefully very worthwhile. I sit down with world-famous strength and conditioning coach, high-performance specialist, entrepreneur, consultant, motivational speaker, and co-creator of the Certified Physical Preparation Specialist course, Mr. Joe DeFranco. And if you haven't heard of him, Joe's trained athletes from all 32 NFL teams, MLB and NBA players, UFC fighters, Olympic athletes, WWE superstars, and even a few MLL guys. And because this show is particularly long, I'm going to keep this intro short and direct. So here's what you can expect throughout. Joe talks about superstar athlete anecdotes from his tenure as a high-performance coach, the physical versus mental preparation game, what separates the best performers from the rest, how you can recover faster from workouts, how to improve your speed and endurance, His nutritional recommendations, we discuss things like keto to paleo versus vegan, gluten-free, and others. And finally, we talk about Joe's businesses, how he started with a blog. He then tiptoed into video instruction via his YouTube channel, opened his first gym, then built a high-performance empire. Now, here's our show's sponsor, then my interview with this absolute beast. It was a real pleasure for me, Joe DeFranco. When us men go out to shop, especially for new trends, we run into some common problems. In store, we either have trouble locating the men's department, finding out what we want, and if we do, it's often not in our size. When we order online, we may think we know what's hip, and there's a hint it's probably not. But when we think we find it and we order it, often it arrives and doesn't fit. Bombfell is an easier way for men to get better clothes. You can complete a simple questionnaire and are then matched one-to-one with a dedicated personal stylist. When you sign up, you pay zero dollars. That's right, you only pay for the clothes you keep, period. Bomfell is the only styling service that does not charge any fees to work with them. Here's how the process works. You go online and you sign up. You set up your order, and you choose between items you want delivered, the style and fit. I chose tight pants, fitted button-down t-shirts, my personal style at the moment, Then you get a preview email of what's to come, and shortly thereafter, your package will arrive. Everything is fully personalized. Each piece has been handpicked for you by your own stylist. That stylist will then email you her or his selections, after which you'll have 48 hours to make any changes, or even cancel it altogether. You're in total control. Personally, I went through the process, got exactly what I was looking for, and was very pleased with the quality of fabrics and the selection from my stylist. So here's what I was able to pull off for you suiting up listeners. Since, and this is in parentheses, I think fashion is part of what I do, I was able to negotiate with Bombfell to get a $25 offer for all of you listeners. That's the best offer of any show across podcasts, and I'm proud of that. It's $25 off your first purchase. Here's how you do it. Go to bombfell.com forward slash Rabel. That's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L. Dot com slash Rabel. Bombfell.com slash Rabel. It's Bombfell. Open and clothes YouTube, blogging, podcasting. Yeah. It's one of the things that traditional business owners or CFOs have the most difficulty wrapping their head around is like, what is the ROI on this? We're dedicating so much time to this podcast. The advertising dollars coming through may not be as large worth the time that we're valuing right now. But they they're, they have a difficult time understanding brand. Same thing with social media. Yeah, it's like you're playing the long game. Exactly, and it's returning on your business.
1: Yeah, it is funny because that is, all the all the like business consultants I had that are I don't even want to say older, but just not like you know not in their twenties like that that were brought up on the whole social media game. Every one of them to a man would be like, "You're too knowledgeable. You're giving away too much for free. Yeah. You got to stop. You don't know your own <laughs> worth and all this." Right. But I'm. Yeah, and I probably spend 90% of my day doing free stuff like podcasting. Yeah. But when I put the DeFranco Insider out or I put out an ebook, right. all those people appreciate all the free content and sales are phenomenal. So yeah. it's like do 90% of your stuff for free. It's like Gary Vee talks about the jab, jab, jab right yeah. hook thing like give, give, give. Every now and then you ask. And that's the model I always lived, not almost not even knowing. Now it's become a thing because he's He's blown up on social media as right. like the business marketing social media guru, right. but that's why I gravitated towards him because I was like, that's finally a, like someone a lot smarter than me, kind of you know solidifying and validating what I have been doing isn't completely you know moronic. It actually works, yeah. you know. But those old school like businessmen, it's like, no, what right. is, what's the, what's the ROI right now? And and if you don't have it. You don't know anything about business. You're not going to feed your family that way. But I've I've done it the exact. It's time. crazy that the, the the overall
0: shift in content generation. Yeah. And and making that long play and as you mentioned, Gary Vee's Jab Jab Hook. He's going to be on the show in a few weeks. Probably talk more about it. But
1: oh, cool, cool. The,
0: the other area, though, and I've noticed this growing up my entire life, training uh, with my high performance coaches and strength and conditioning coaches is is I have the best conversation during workouts before or after with them because just you guys are just cerebral guys. Yes. Right? And I think you have to be because you are dealing with these premium race cars that are trusting you to help them perform at their highest when the stakes are the highest and yep. there's millions of dollars at stakes at stake and and you have to not only make sure that they're 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 performing and all cylinders are firing, but you're constantly innovating and thinking about the body differently. You know, if if you're a subscriber to, to natural selection, the body's changing. The athletes today are insane.
1: It's uh, yeah. high
0: school basketball players jumping out of the gym. So so you're constantly learning by virtue of that. Really cerebral guy said you like talking about it. Yeah, that feels uh that feels like a, a natural place to start.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh it's funny the. the Probably th- some of the best business conversations I ever had talking about having a uh, best conversations before and after workouts were with Triple H, you know, yeah. like, and and I give him credit for giving me some of the best business advice I've ever gotten sure. was, you know, just warming up, you know, we'll, he'll be warming up, stretching, doing some mobility work, and he might just say, hey, how's your day? What's going on with your business? And I'll throw something out at him. And then he starts, you know, he's got such a great mind for business, obviously. Oh, he's brilliant. You, you know, running a billion-dollar company. Um, he'll start throwing some stuff at me, and, like, I'm taking notes in my mind. Like, this is better than any business book I've ever read, any course I've ever <laughs> taken. Like, you're learning from someone who's actually, you know, done it, built a business. But there, there is also that camaraderie, like you said. Like, he's trusting in me. To, with his body to help prolong his career. So there's that trust factor. So I think you you could take a conversation deeper than if it's just some guy you met off the street, you know, but yeah, yeah some of the best conversations, best business moves I've ever made. You know, I we always joke, we say most, businessmen talk about some of the best business deals are done on the golf course. In my life, they've best been, best been done in the gym. You know, like <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Best business deals are in the gym in my life. I'm yeah. not a golf guy.
0: So we met at WrestleMania, and then SummerSlam was last night you were there. Yep. You've been training Paul Levesque and tr- Triple H uh, and, and Stephanie McMahon and, and famous for these midnight workouts. Yes. How did that relationship uh, stem
1: that that started um, kind of speaking like we were talking about social media before we started. I just always tried to put out content on social media. So, and this it's kind of a lesson in this. If you backtrack back to I, when I first started my website, maybe two thousand and three, two thousand and four, I used to do an Ask Joe column. It was before before YouTube was out. It was all about I don't even know if they called it a blog. It was just a website, and I would answer questions. People would email me questions and I'd take the best ones. I would answer them. And then I would send out a newsletter called Ask Joe and it would be like the top four or five questions from that week. But I would... I would really answer them in depth like I wouldn't just give one word one sentence answers if if somebody asked me a question I mean I'd be I'd be giving five six paragraphs wor- worth I'd add pictures wow. descriptions I really put a lot of time and effort into it and I did it all for free like I truly did it because I loved talking about training and helping people at no point did it ever cross my mind that you know I should be charging for this or I could be until a couple business consultants once my business started to grow growing and I started talking to some consultants the first thing they told me was you got to stop that Q&A thing you're doing that's you're giving away gold yeah. online and you're doing it for free you you have to know your worth you have to know your value etc cetera, etc cetera. fast forward to 2012 when our 2011 I get a call at my gym from Paul Levesque, Triple H, just random one day. I'm training a bunch of college kids, (laughs) and uh, an intern comes up to me and says, some guy that claims he's a WWE wrestler left a message, but I never heard of him. And he shows me the paper, and it says, I was like, Paul Levesque, Levesque, like what? And I go, that guy, you know, I never heard of him. He must be like some scrub or whatever. And then... (laughs) I thankfully I, I say all things happen for a reason. One of the college football players that I was training in that group was a big wrestling fan. Yep. And he was like, Wait, let me see that paper. And he's like, That's Triple H. That's yeah. Triple H's like, real name. Yo, and I was it. like, Seriously? I quickly, I go, Guys, hold on a second. I never left the training session uh, to go Google something, but I was like, Time out. I go to the computer, I Google it. I was like, Wow, it's Triple H. I call him back the next day. We hit off a great conversation. He tells me how he's towards the end of his career. He always trained like a bodybuilder. He always trained for the look, but you know all the, the physicality of the the sport of wrestling. There's certainly, as you know, a real aspect to it. You know mm. the the outcomes are predetermined, but the 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 impact. physical nature and the impact of what they're doing is very real. He's been through some unbelievably
0: difficult challenges yes. and surgeries
1: Well more than any nfl player i've trained you know 12 13 year vets in the nfl none of them even come close from an injury standpoint that uh, you know compared to what triple h has suffered qu- torn quad tendons uh, you know, shoulder surgeries. Played through them, too. He, always. The show goes on. The show goes on when wrestling, which is crazy. He tore his quad tendon off the bone. And if you know, you know, your quad next to your glutes, th- those group of muscles, the biggest muscles in your body, roll up like a lampshade up his leg. Ugh. So there's there's no longer a muscle attached to his <sighs> knee. Like, from the tendon, it tears. And he conti- they continue with the show. He wrestles Ugh. another 15, 20 minutes. So now at the age of when he first called me he's he was 41 or 42 it all started adding up and he still wanted to squeeze out a couple more years wrestling and he started uh googling and researching athletic performance and more mobility training and quote-unquote functional training i hate that term but he he wanted somebody that dealt more with athletes than Hmm. just bodybuilders And when I asked him how he found me, he said, you know, a couple names kept popping up in the sports performance industry, yours being one of them, but there's three or four or five other guys that kept popping up too. He said, you were the only one who had content back. I could go back 10, 12 years. And you were giving away all this content. Look at that. I read all those old Ask Joes. I applied a lot of them from what I could, the things I could make out just from reading and not ever meeting you. A couple of things. I think a couple were like stretches I recommend. A couple were workouts, a couple exercises. It was everything I tried that you recommended back in those Ask Joe uh, Q&As, they worked for me. So I was like, man, if, if I'm just like reading this guy's old blog or you know old website, this is a guy... I need to talk to and he was also able to see I had kids I was talking about in 2003 and 2004 I was referring to these like high school kids I was experimenting with and now 10 years later he saw the same kids I was talking about in 2003 were still with me and now four-year veterans in yeah. the NFL you know Dave Deal was a rookie when I first started talking about him he was a 10-year vet when I started training Paul Brian Cushing a linebacker with the Houston Texans was a junior in high school, New Jersey based guy. Yeah. Now he's an all pro linebacker with the Texans. And Paul was like, there weren't, I, I didn't find anybody else that was giving the information that you gave away, but also had real world clients to back it up. And not just like a before and after picture guys that were with you and, and apparently stuck with you for 10 to 12 years. And that's when I knew you were going to be my guy to call because obviously they have to be careful. They're not just inviting anybody over their house. You know, i yeah. he, he, it got a sense where he but knew me because I put it security. all out line. Yeah. yeah. I put my whole life online, my business. You could tell I'm not some shady dude. Like I'm, I'm in this for the long haul. This is how I make my living. So he felt comfortable calling me. And then ultimately we talked on the phone for maybe a half hour, invited me over his house to meet him in person and uh, what started out, he wanted just some advice, but we hit it off so well because I'm in New Jersey. He's in Connecticut. Yeah. He, we hit it off so well, and, and I liked him so much, and he was so knowledgeable and so into it. I was like, you know what? Instead of just recommending someone to you because he, he said, you know, I know you're far. I guess the best thing you could do, can you recommend somebody that you would give your seal of approval to but somebody in Connecticut? I didn't feel comfortable recommending anybody and I didn't really know anybody. So I was like, you know what, if you're willing to take a stab at it, I'm willing to drive, drive to train you. Uh, let's give it a month. If it's too much on my end, I'm going to be honest with you and tell you it's too much. And if it's not working out for you, listen, be upfront with me. You know, I, I got thick skin. Let me have it. Yeah. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. No hard feelings, we both go our separate ways. So it started out as like a, a one-month kind of probation period, and here we are, six and a half years later. Wow, we've
0: been we've been training ever since. You you said most of your life or your career ha- is online documenting back to this Ask Joe and your and your blog. What about before then and your origin story? What got you into high performance training or understanding the body, um, muscle improvement, cardiovascular? uh work all that kind of stuff
1: my i was always, i was an athlete i grew up playing football I was obsessed loved football you know always had the dream of i was sure i was going to play in the nfl that was my my deal and when was and i don't want to sound like al bundy like living in my glory days you know uh, a <laughs> bad scored four touchdowns in the city championship <laughs> at polk high but uh you know, from the time I was seven to, through high school, I was, you know, always captain of the team, strongest player on the team. You know, I played at a high level. My, I went to Bergen Catholic High School, yeah. which is a great school academically as well. But to be completely honest, I went solely for the football team. They were a state powerhouse, nationally ranked powerhouse. So I was the first person ever from my town. I grew up in Hawthorne, New Jersey. My mom was a teacher at the local high school, and I went to Bergen Catholic. Solely to play football, yep. and you know, played at a high level. Was getting scholarship offers and looks uh, as early as my sophomore year. Schools like Nebraska, and I was a fullback. So, like Nebraska at that time, that was like as Group good as crop. it gets. You know, yep. I remember getting handwritten letters from them. Option offense, yeah. Just I mean, that like, was like that was that was your calling, right yeah. there. <laughs> just <laughs> as the big, a fullback, they always had the like gap. the tough meathead fullback, and I was like, <laughs> that's where I want to go. And I remember I got my first handwritten letter from them as a sophomore. And uh, so things were going great. And I always loved training for football. You know, I started training at an early age with my dad, running hills, lifting weights, the whole deal. And then my junior season, going into my senior season, I woke up one morning with a severe pain shooting down my leg into my foot, like, like bad, bad nerve pain. And I just assumed from always playing football, like something happened in practice yesterday. I didn't know what it was. To make a very long story short, fast forward, I play the whole season with it because nobody could figure it out. I go to doctors. I go to surgeons. I'm back and forth to Jeez. NYU and in, in the city going to the top neurologist, orthopedics. Everybody sees a, some kind of abnorm, abnormality on my MRIs and my CAT scans, but it's showing up as, as an abnormality. There's a black spot. There's all these different things, but nobody could put their finger on it. I have surgeries. I have Jeez. procedures my play my whole senior year with this severe pain. So I'm playing at maybe 50 to 60%, but I was always kind of a quiet kid, believe it or not. I, I didn't talk. like I was just, I, I was very shy growing up. So I was just like, keep your mouth shut and keep playing. And I played at about 60%, lost a lot of the scholarships. A lot of the, t- you know, I still did. We were 22 and Oh, my junior and senior year, I was captain. I scored over 20 touchdowns my senior year. I had a great year, but it wasn't like the, the 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 guy I was the year before, like there was something a little off, like I was always limping around, I was in constant pain. God. Turns out I had a tumor growing in my sacrum, inside the bone, breaking literally breaking the sacrum uh It was only the size of a pea, like yep. literally a little pea. They said it was you know you could sc- they scooped it out with a a teaspoon size uh Ugh. bone they took out but it was a little pea-sized tumor growing in my sacrum. And when it kind of, it fractured the sacrum, that inflammation and irritation hit the, the sciatic nerve was affected and that was what was created, created the severe nerve pain. But when I tell you, like on a scale from one to 10, it was a 10 of pain and it never went away for four years. I was on on Advil and Percocet and Vicodin at a young age for yeah. five years, you know, prescribed by the doctor, but all hopped up on pain medication played one and a half years of D3 college football. I went to the college of New Jersey, my junior year. They finally, during one of my tests is when they discovered it was a tumor. <sighs> they removed it. Th- thank you know, thankfully it was benign, but all the, the, the damage from all the other surgeries, I had surgeries where they went through my stomach to take a bone biopsy of the anterior portion of my sacrum so to this day i have no feeling in my right thigh like so a lot of damage was done could have been worse if it was malignant this i might not be here talking to you right now so i'm i'm thankful for that but at the you know the other end of the spectrum at that time all i knew was my football career was over and i was devastated like crying myself to sleep on the couch every night Mm. uh and but it that's how the answer to answer your question you know, how that came about, it's like how I got into this profession. I knew I needed something to occupy my, my brain and my mind because my life was football, Train for football, play football, 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 football. Now that's taken away. And it's like, you feel like, you know, kind of like, who am I? Like I was Joe DeFranco, the football guy. Like I was the stud football player. Now I'm just a guy that's washed up already at 20. So I said, well, what else do I love? I love training for football. Thankfully, I'm healthy enough, like it could always be worse, I'm up, I could walk around, I'm in some pain still, but I was studying exercise physiology at at college, I had another year left, I said, you know what, that's, I'm going to do the next best thing if I'm not going to play in the NFL, I could take my love of training and really dive in, take it to the next level, really study the body, how things work. I got a great education, Um, not the way you would want to go about it, but the education I got from having the tumor in my spine and learning about that's what I was gonna the say. lumbar spine and neurology and anatomy, like that was the best anatomy uh lesson you could ever have. Uh yeah, I, they I, say that it's like,
0: insane. Many entrepreneurs or first-time founders get the equivalency, they call it their MBA on the street. Yes, that was mine. And that and that <laughs> and that was yours. I suspect that's how you you, you understand the body, because that's that's where you start too, right? Is yes. understanding you have how, to the athlete's body is functioning. Yep. Uh, And you work with a ton of high-performance athletes across the NFL, the MLB, NBA. you even done some pro lacrosse guys. We mentioned the WWE. So top to bottom, when you look at a world-class athlete, let's just start here. World-class athlete, what do you notice instinctively differentiates them from an amateur athlete, even call it a, a, a... High performing college athlete, what is it about these world class pro
1: athletes physically? Or because there's a physical, the, the psychological oh, component is big too. Yeah, yeah. physically, there's definitely um, not always, you always have you know some exceptions in there, but there is a genetic, uh, you know, predisposition to hmm. be good at certain things, like obviously. Basketball, yes, there's been some shorter NBA players, but if you're five foot two and you love basketball your whole life, no matter how hard of a worker you are, you might not make it, you know, to the NBA. And if 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 you want to become a you know an NFL lineman, but you are someone with a real fast metabolism and you've always weighed a buck ten. No matter how hard you work, you could hire me. You know, I could be pretty good at what I do. And there's, there are certain people that have those gen- genetic limitations and also, you know, predispositions t- to be a freak in their sport. Like mm-hmm. we see, you know, baseball pitchers with just longer fingers and yeah. bigger hands than Michael people. Phelps has like the yes. flippers for feet. Yeah. So there, you have that. But the best of the best usually. Along with that comes the the work ethic and also the the psychology of it is interesting. What what I've seen with a lot of pro athletes, the best ones, there's some that that get get away on just genetics and talent, but they don't last long. Right, the Michael Jordans, you know, the Derek Jeters, all of that. Yeah, the the guys, girls who have been the best of the best at what they've done for you know, a decade or more. Those are the ones that have that that work ethic to go along with maybe that genetic freak component that was God-given or whatever you want to call it. That coupled with the the attitude of just like being obsessed with being the best. They, a lot of them are very competitive. They don't like to lose. I always, a lot of people, when they talk about high performance training, it's funny, they wanna know the the secret workout, the secret program, what's the best exercise, you know, for a lacrosse player or for a football player. And now we start with re- recovery because mm. one of the characteristics, you're talking about the characteristics, it is that, that component that they always, They refuse to be outworked like they want to, you know, Paul Levesque is training at midnight when his competition is sleeping, you know, and we have I have um, we just got Mickey Gall is going to start training with us. UFC Mm -hmm. fighter, the, the guy who fought CM Punk, great kid, young up and coming star in the UFC. First thing I talked to him about was what are you doing to recover? Cause I know with the UFC, there's so much, you know, so much technical to every pro sport, but there's so much, you know, technical ability that you need so many different disciplines you have to learn plus the physical conditioning. And when you have that attitude, if I want to be the best, it's very easy to go, 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 go be at the top of your game for a year or two. And then you get hurt, injured, burnt out. Yeah. So now it's, the hardest time i have is is helping those guys train smart and recover rather than just out always outwork everybody that, many that's of them only are, part probably, of the
0: are probably ocd <laughs> and you have to <laughs> say like
1: stop working
0: out yes right i i've found as athletes we're often uh you know because we're not clocking in on a regular job quote unquote from mm-hmm. eight to five or nine to five whatever it is that you you've you sometimes find your worth, and this is as a professional, college and everything up to that point, you never think this way because you have classes, you have other obligations, you're taking a job, you're working. As a pro, everything should be revolving around your routine, your travel, your nutrition, um, your your training, and your sleep, um, but you're just sometimes just training to train so yes. you feel good about yourself. Yes. And I suppose that's, you know, when you talk about what are you doing to recover, what are some things that you tell in your, your guys.
1: Well, I, first I make them aware. I say, well, what are you training for? So you, in that example, if he's a UFC fighter, do you have a, do you know when your next fight is, or are you just training in preparation of, hmm. you know, you're going to fight again, but we don't have the date set yet. So we know that you're at least three months away before hmm. you get a fight. So we need to know that first. And then regardless, are you training for a specific season event fight competition or is it the early stages of the off season either way there should be a goal of that time of year for your training so everybody should have a reason and a purpose behind everything they do and when it comes to training you I call them indicator exercises or indicator they could just be called indicators so for you know f- for an athlete it might be well I'm training because I know I need to run faster I need to jump higher I need to I need to get stronger so I always tell them if let's just to keep it very simple, let's say the goal you wanted to your vertical jump, uh, you want to put three inches on your vertical jump, you're a basketball player. And you have many goals, but that's one of the main goals of your training. You, you said a lot of athletes train just to train because they don't know what else to do. And you nailed it because then what happens is they're working hard, but they're working towards this goal of jumping higher and all the things they're doing is actually detrimental because they're not recovering. Mm. They just know, man, I work out three times a day. I'm, I'm sweating. I puked yesterday. I trained, you know, I trained 15 times this week and yeah, I worked hard, hard, hard. I, I outworked my competition. I did this, I did that. And then I'll say, well, have you tested your vertical jump? Yeah. Uh, no. What did it improve? What was it? It was 32 inches. Well, where are you at right now? I don't know. Well, then how do you know you're, you know, you don't know if your training's working. So if all that stuff you're doing, if I test your vertical jump and now it's 29 inches, you wasted all your time. So you need at the end of the day, how do you know if you're, if what you're doing is working, if it's appropriate, you need to have these indicators and you need to periodically test them. And if you're not getting stronger, getting faster, you know, whatever it may be, getting in better shape. You need real measurable data on that. And if you're not achieving that, then what are you doing? You're just, right. you're just spinning your wheels. So that's where a lot of the times training smarter comes in. And with pro athletes, it's me saying, all right, stop. First thing we have to do is plug in some recovery days in right. there. And I'll give you one of the everybody listening to this. If you're an athlete, even if you're just if you're a, if you're a, a CEO, if if you're um, you know a businessman, businesswoman, and you're just you know high energy, go 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 all the time. First thing I told Mickey Gall, he was like, "What well, if? I, what's the first advice you could give me right now? How can I get better before we get started?" I said take at least one i would prefer two days make sure you have at least one to two days completely off where you're not in the gym right now not even you, stretching you could that well, you could go for a walk yeah, you could yeah, do some it. low anything rec- anything that revolves that will improve your ability to recover that's fine mm-hmm. go for a walk stretch foam roll while you're watching tv but you get out of the gym at least once preferably two days a week so organize your training so you have off days and then after every single workout the second you're done Last set, last rep, you know, last minute of rolling. If if you're doing jujitsu or grappling, go into the corner of the gym, lay down, put your feet up, elevate your feet above your heart and slow down, slow down your breathing. You could, you could go from your nervous system has, you have the sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic. Sympathetic is fight, flight, training, alert, kick ass. Parasympathetic is rest, digest, recover. That's where we need to be. We need to get in that state in order to recover. So when you leave the gym, even though the workout's over, your heart rate's still up. I know me, like, if you're in New York City, you're sitting in traffic, you're pissed off, you're trying to get home, road rage, (laughs) cursing people off. Like, that's me after my workout. And what what that does is all that does is it prolongs the recovery process Mm. i'm not recovering from my workout even though i'm drinking my protein shake when i'm flipping the bird to the guy you know across from me and i'm pissed off because i'm late i'm in traffic all i'm doing is delaying the recovery process so now we want to get back to that that quote unquote parasympathetic as soon as possible because the sooner we could get there the sooner we kickstart the recovery process for the next workout. So simple thing everybody could do, the second you're done with your workout or even your work day before you go home so you don't end up getting in a fight with your wife because you're all high strung from work, lay down, put your feet up. I like. There's many different ways to slow down your heart rate. I like a box breathing technique where it's a one, 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 one ratio. So you yep. would inhale through your nose and really try to like belly breathe. You hear about the belly yep. breathing. You're yep. not, you don't wanna breathe in through that your chest a big and your neck. Very difficult. Is trying
0: to start belly breathing as I was,
1: as I was lifting yes. and working out.
0: It felt impossible at the time.
1: Well, it, it, that's why you should start. In a relaxed state, because if you can't do it laying down yep. with, without, you know, being under stress, you're not going to do it when your heart rate is elevated and you're fired up from lifting. Why do they say belly from breathe.
0: What, what, like scientifically, why is that more beneficial to us versus most of us
1: breathing through our chests? It, it's, it's, you actually, it, it's, chest breathing is more stressful breathing. And if you even, if you look what happens... If you breathe, if you kind of exaggerate a little bit, and because I, I was a chest breather my whole life, if you're always breathing through your chest, what that does is you're, you're – actually, if you look at somebody from the side, it's almost like you're doing a, a million little hyperextensions each day. You're – your low back actually extends a little right. bit. You, you know, your your chest is up. Your your shoulders are shrugged. So right. you have tension in your shoulders. You're not getting that air all the way deep into your belly. You're doing a million little hyperextensions all day. So you, what happens, anybody who is a, a chest breather, a lot of times they have neck or like trap stress and pain or mm. tight low back. How, how common is tight low tight back, tight low back? Tight low back. Yeah. Because... Because if you look at what's happening when you chest breathe, it's this like tension-filled, tight, traps are tight, low back is tight, and it's a stressful type of breathing. When you slow it down and bring that air all the way in through your belly, it will have more of a relaxing effect on your body, get you into that parasympathetic. You, with the box breathing, just to give you an example of how to do it, an example, I couldn't even inhale for more than three seconds when I started. It sounds, you would think if you, if you don't try it, you're going to say, how can you like, Yeah, but try to really inhale kick in. It stops. Yeah. It, it, you hit a wall. So it takes a lot of practice. So I would, I would even suggest starting with maybe three second inhale and really just try to focus on filling up your belly with air. Hold it. Once you have that three second inhale, hold that breath in for three seconds, exhale for three seconds, and then hold the exhale for three seconds and repeat. So one breath would be three, 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 three. So gotcha. it's it's like yep. a twelve seconds per breath. So you're only taking a few breaths, you know, five breaths uh, about per minute when you when you do it in that fashion. In in as little as three minutes, you could go from a a sympathetic dominant state to a parasympathetic recovery, restful. Uh, State. I always tell people it's, it's associated with better digestion too. So if you do that first, you're going to get more out of that post-workout meal or shake or whatever, you know, you should be feeding your body and your muscles after you train. So if you just wait that three to five minutes before you slam that shake or have that, you know, your chicken breast and rice, whatever you're going to eat, do that little routine first. And you, it's amazing how different you feel in just three to five minutes. And that alone kickstart the recovery process and you do that enough they those little sessions start to build up notice how much better you're going to feel in between sessions it's amazing yeah i suspect we'll keep
0: revisiting uh paul Levesque as he was a sports idol of mine growing up but i've noticed (laughs) now you've been training for more than half a decade he does a lot of stomach breathing you can see it in the ring yes yeah he does a good job and and i also told all my partners and, and the folks that uh That I that I speak regularly with about this show. This was going to be the highest utility show. We're already probably there. (laughs) My end for everyone, so it's really good. Um, Let me ask you that you know for my sport specifically in soccer, high endurance sports. If you were to ask me, uh, you know, areas of focus. I would always say improving endurance, or I would like to say improving endurance. I play midfield, so I'm just constantly yes. running. And I would say that I'm probably average, or at least from some genetic tests that I've done in, in my VO2 max, uh, out of the gates. And then the other one is just being more malleable, which we can we can separate the two because both are very different. And I'm sure you would address them differently with your athletes. But as you get older, and I'm 31 now, I've dealt more with injuries towards the, towards the late stages of my career, then probably 16 to 27, I could do anything I wanted, would never get hurt. But as far as endurance, VO two max, uh, interval training, what, what do you recommend? Cause it, it's not, it's not just professional athletes that are playing soccer, basketball, uh, and lacrosse. There's a ton of fitness, um, um, these fitness events like that, 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 uh, Folks that are entrepreneurs or business women, businessmen are doing on weekends yeah. and comp- competing. So, uh, what would you recommend to to improve endurance? And what are your thoughts on VO2 max interval training and all that
1: stuff? Well, I think interval training, uh, especially for lacrosse, is is great. One, if you pinned me down and said, "What's the best way to get in shape for lacrosse?" I would probably say, and I'm I'm big into not speaking in absolutes because there's always more than w- one right answer. But if you pinned me down, and I had to. The, uh, interval training is probably the best way for you to get in quote-unquote shape for lacrosse outside of playing lacrosse. Obviously, right. always playing your sport is the best way to it's get the in best shape way. for your sport. And that's
0: the best thing about basketball. Yes. I've always said that. A lot of those guys, they just go to the courts. There's always games. And in contact sports, you grew up playing football.
1: Yeah, it's way a lot tougher. You just can't get a game together. Yes. You got to yes. find
0: 10 guys suit up in goalies. Yes. Anyway.
1: It's, and the, But that is – more people need to realize that because that's one of my pet peeves. It's a, it's a whole other podcast that probably bore your uh, listeners. But like this specific speed training thing and um, all the different drills and everything. Well, what's the best way to improve agility, quote unquote agility and change direction? It's like, well, play your sport and, and be good at your sport because there's so much decision making in sports. You know, there's the cognitive aspect is way it's so overlooked where the, mm. I, I it gets it makes me so so aggravated I'll watch a football game and or any sport and they'll say like oh he's got tight hips or oh he's kind of slow when it's someone who ran you know maybe a a 4.3 second 40 yard dash at the combine (laughs) but they're a rookie and they're moving kind of slow. It's not because they're not physically fast enough. It's because there there's so much to remember. Like people don't realize a, an NFL playbook is like two Webster's dictionaries. You think a bunch of guys are running around trying to kill each other, but they're reading there's plays. You have to, if you're a linebacker, what's the guard doing? What's the center doing? Mm-hmm. I'm watching the quarterback. I'm watching the running back. So if you're just a college football player taking that step to the NFL, That ball gets snapped. You're not just running 100 miles an hour. You're making these reads, and it's very difficult. And I've had guys be college all – they're college all-Americans and look slow on the field their first year because they're learning the the system. And then once they make decisions faster on the field, they appear to be faster even though they're not any physically faster. That's why they talk about the NFL, they say – the biggest the biggest difference between NFL and college football is the speed of the game. You'll hear everybody say that. Yep. But how can that be? These are these guys are in their 30s. You know, they're not. Ask any ask a ten year NFL vet. Can you run the same 40 yard dash today that you did 10 years ago at the NFL combine? He'll yeah. be like, no way, not even close. Then how come the NFL game is faster? Yeah. Same thing with Wayne Decision. Gretzky being
0: able to instinctively yes. anticipate where the puck was going. I I used to. Uh, well, I would say this. Listening is both underrated and overrated, that, that word, because we think it's so fundamental. And you hear coaches say it all the time, you're not listening, you're not listening. I actually think what well, you nailed it. What they should be saying is you're not processing. Yes. And that's, what, that's where the delay and where experience kicks in, is we hear a play call, we hear a slide for lacrosse players, or, or you hear something, then there's that. Split-second kick where you have to process so your body then is told the signal from your brain, to oh, I got to now change yes. direction ahead in this. And, and as you become more experienced and more efficient, Coach Belichick, who was our first guest on the show, said he could take an all-Ivy uh, college academic, all-American, plug him in on the line. Take a guy without a degree who has great cognitive football awareness and he'd be 10 times better than the Ivy League quote unquote intellect. Yes. And, and no disrespect to Ivy Leaguers. My brother is one, played football at Dartmouth. <laughs> but, but like that cognitive ability to instinctively react, as we were talking about in yes. processing.
1: And I don't understand why more people don't understand that. And that's why I got because it's so hard. I, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, got enough, I know I get on tangents, but it's just when they, you you brought up like, what can you do to to train better? You know, what, how can you become, what are some things mm. you could focus on training wise? The agility thing. Yes, you could, you could train your agility and you, we could set up drills that you have to react to a person or a visual stimulus, which is the best way to train for agility. If you, if it's not playing your sport, it's, simulating not just setting up a bunch of cones and running running around them or a bunch of ladder drills it's trying to do things where you have to react to another person yep. you know so that's that's where and you could be able to do, you might be great you might get better at that but there there's that factor of some people just aren't good at that sport you know a lot of the characteristics of sports you know in football and in lacrosse speed helps agility helps your ability to change direction but how come the best football players aren't always the best lacrosse players and vice versa? There's right. a technical component. I'm sure there's guys that are a little bit bigger than you, a little bit faster than you, a little bit stronger Definitely. than you, that aren't even close to as, you know, at your level because, you, yeah, you have those attributes, but you have you have the technical skill the of playing sense. lacrosse. The game You sense. have it. Yeah. Chris
0: Paul, right, the is a guy. The people talk about. Yeah, a, a point guard who can see a play happen yes. and make the best passes, you know, this, I would say the same thing for, for great feeders in lacrosse is that the technical pass, whether it's left-handed or right-handed, can be done by all point guards in the NBA or all uh, ex-attackmen in MLL. But being able to see it ahead of time and deliver it right on an ear or right yep. to the guy's hands is what differentiates them. And and I know we were talking a lot about recovery. One thing that we didn't mention is sleep. And, and there's so much research that talks about you know, six <laughs> to eight, nine. I, I ask every athlete that I've spoken to, Jeremy Lynn will sleep for nine hours. Drew Brees will sleep for five or six. Right? He's got a family in different life circumstances. Paul you know, Levesque
1: sleeps for three. Paul you know? Levesque <laughs> sleeps for
0: three. So there definitely is genetic a, a yes. element to that. But broadly, again, try to pin you down in areas where you don't like to be pinned down. But what's yeah. the best recommendation? I, b-
1: Sleep you you can't get around it. Sleep is of utmost important because uh, we talked about how the recovery process is more important than even the training process. You know, for higher level athletes, and sleep it all starts with sleep. So you do not if if you could get more sleep, it's it's never a bad thing. Um, but of course, y- y- there's those you know exceptions to the rule. The Paul X of the world that yep. literally sleep three hours a night on Tuesdays. He doesn't, they they film SmackDown live and then that's the day he flies home. So if he sleeps on Tuesday, it's an hour. And then he has young kids, he has a life. Like he on average sleeps, three hours on Tuesdays one and five hours would be considered. Like he'll come in and say, man, I, I slept, got a full night sleep last night. I slept five hours. Genetically, he just doesn't require it. It's
0: like Bill Clinton. Yeah. Although Bill Clinton I think only needed four hours of sleep.
1: If he, he literally is too busy. Like I've never seen a busier human being than him and, and Stephanie. Um, I think even he would say he would take the, si- I think six hours would be healthier mm. for him. But I also think, yes, it, th- there's the, the thing that overrides everything, genetics. Some people could handle it, some can't. It's. I definitely wouldn't model yourself. He's, he's uh, an amazing person to look up to. I look up to him. I consider him a close friend. But y- he would tell you himself, don't mimic my three hours of sleep because right. I do it. He kind of does it because he has to. Um, there's a mental component because I'm sure he gets tired and he just sucks it up and fights through it. And I think all successful people... Are willing to sacrifice and give up sleep um, in order to become successful. I don't sleep much myself, but the bottom line is, I think for health reasons, you should try to get six to eight hours of sleep. And you if you're, you can't go wrong, and if you're a student athlete in your lab, DeFranco's gym, and and
0: you're young and you're aspiring to be in the NFL, the MEA, MLB, you, that that's now a priority, right? Yeah, 100%. You're talking about, you're talking about yours and Paul's career. So it, for those guys, is it on the lower end? Is it six, or are you like you have to fucking get eight?
1: you yeah, know younger, I, I think you could get away with a little less as you get older Something about as soon when I became a dad, like somehow, if you'd have told me I was going to function and run a business and multiple things going on in my life and be as productive as I am on three hours of sleep a night i would have I would have said you were crazy, but somehow i I do it, Whew, and man. becoming a dad it you You have to. You know, we have twin daughters, so that that first couple years it's just like I, I felt awful and I felt like crap, but you I slept one or two hours a night and then I started training Paul and Steph. And I get home three in the morning uh, a lot of times from training them. By the time, you know, I grab something to eat real quick. I go to bed at four. I have six year old daughters now. They wake me up at six or seven. You know, I, I might you know stay in bed another hour, but for the most part, I go to bed four in the morning and wake up at eight. Um, but no, high school kids, if you're training at my gym, you, you better get eight hours before you start asking me about supplements and magic programs and you know this that and the other thing. Sleep and and food that's the foundation yep. and and then we could talk about the fancy thing but yep. i i i didn't answer your question it's bothering me <laughs> one second the uh you're talking about training because yep. this is something that everybody gets wrong we got off onto the tangent of the agility thing right but big mistake especially with l- like mixed sports like soccer lacrosse yep. you, aerobically you guys need to be fit obviously especially at your position there's a lot of running but if you you know better than me even think about the main, if you, if you look at a, a lacrosse game and you think about like, if you, if I had to pin you down and say the deciding three, three or four plays, or even the deciding minute of the game, like if you could add up 10 seconds here, 10 seconds there. And I said, what, what pick out the four or five uh, times during this game that were the most important generally, would you not agree that sprinting you're not you're not jogging around like it's oh, yeah. all out sprint change of direction high intensity high energy you know that's when the goals are being scored and yep. big things are happening 100 you know? it's
0: always explosive i, I look at our and, and that's how it's changed over time in high school i played more time i had more time on the field college a little bit less pro definitely less because it's just gotten as you get to that level Every moment on the field is full-out yes. sprint explosion. If you're jogging, I've always I've been a little bit um, uh, jealous of this, my soccer peers and those counterparts <laughs> because they're constantly playing zones on the yes. field and they're jogging and walk. They say sometimes they walk up to half of the mileage they carry over yep. a game. None but, of that in our sport.
1: Yeah, and, and that was – I don't – I shouldn't even bring this up but cuz I don't know the exact numbers but there I'm I'm close enough where in soccer there's a study where it's something to the um uh, the effect of Eighty percent of the game is spent either walking or jogging. Right. Only about twenty percent or I less think you're is spent right. I didn't, sprinting. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> but yeah, it's it's <laughs> I close. I underestimate it. Because, I'm confident enough to know it's close. Because I'll enough.
0: tell you those those backs out in Europe, the, the 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 fullbacks, the amount of times they go up and down the flank sprinting
1: during a match. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. But so they they spend in soccer uh, back on the soccer they spend more time jogging or walking but the 20% of the time that's spent sprinting is responsible like 80% of the time for the for outcome the outcom- mm-hmm. outcome of the game so the the point i was trying to make is the the biggest mistake i see with with lacrosse soccer and those kind of mixed energy system sports where you need the aerobic capacity but you also need that anaerobic explosive burst Too many people interchange speed training and conditioning. Like everybody will call it speed. If you're running, they call it, hey, today's a speed day. We're going to go out on the track. We're going to go out in the field and we're going to run. So it's a speed day. But the problem is nobody, we know, we just mentioned how important sprinting, your ability to sprint, like that short burst at 10 to 50 yards, that ability to sprint and cover ground in that distance. We know how important it is. But nobody spends the time to actually train it. You're always training in a fatigued state. Hmm. Most coaches, a quote unquote speed session, is we're going to run your guts out until you throw up. It's going to be stadium stairs. In football, they do 300 yard shuttles, uh, sixteen 110 yard sprints with with uh, in a, in incomplete recovery yeah. periods, etc. So they're always training in that, that lactic kind of fatigue state, right? They never improve what's, what's considered your maximal outputs, right? Your maximal outputs are how fast can you run? If you, if fatigue has not set in, we haven't accumulated any fatigue on your best day, warmed up, you're feeling great. All the conditions are perfect. How fast can you run in order to improve that? you need to train in a a fully recovered state. You know, uh, quality and speed is of utmost importance. So a lot of people don't grasp it. They think, well, in lacrosse, you know, you need a lot of endurance and, and there's a lot of running. So when I run, I'm just gonna run my guts out. I'm gonna run five miles. I'm gonna do intervals mm-hmm. all the time. But you need to take that time just to just for argument's sake. I know like the 40 yard dash time isn't it's not like the the be all end all in lacrosse, but right. just saying your your straight explosive speed getting from point A to point B. If if you take someone who could run a 4.3 second 40 yard dash, even in a fatigue state, their operational outputs which is how they operate it's basically a percentage of your maximal outputs if what do you operate at when fatigue starts to accumulate or when you have the the cognitive right. aspect of the game and there's decision making and there's skill involved what are you operating at mm-hmm. if i could improve your maximal outputs if i could get you the guy who runs a 4.3 second 40 yard dash is going to operate at a faster speed than the guy who runs the five-second 40-yard dash. Everybody's going to agree on that, right? But... If you have if you're if you're a lacrosse coach and you're getting beat, if you say, Man, we're getting beat all the time, we have some pretty skilled players, but we're friggin' slow. Like I need to improve our team speed. Mm-hmm. The problem is most coaches will just do stadium stairs and run that team's guts out instead right. of dedicating one to two days a week to true speed training and improving those maximal outputs yeah. with Short sprints, full recovery, you know, letting kids take a rest in between sprints let's get those kids that run a five second forty let's get them to run a four seven yeah, and now they're going to operate at a faster speed, and that even has an indirect of, effect on your endurance because the stronger and, and faster the the more force you can apply with each step into the ground yeah. the the more forceful each step. Submaximally, you're going to cover more ground and operate at a faster pace as well. Yeah. But nobody does that because it's not, you're not going to throw up. You're not going to feel tired right. at the end. And yeah. you still need the endurance, but that's, a, that's, Conditioning day. But
0: endurance to me now feels like that it's a function of how quickly you can recover. Like I think think that the linear thought is endurance, let's try and run for as long as we can or not get tired. Rather, it should be, let's try and close that gap that we previously needed in between explosive movement patterns and measure that. We're always measuring the output of our lift or our run, how fast we do that 40, and people then... Get more cavalier with the time in between sets and it sounds like if you focus on that time in between sets that's where you can actually measure your improvement and like thinking through uh thinking through the training out of the box yes and even going back to your uh measuring your vertical will like Hey man, when was the last time you measured your vertical?
1: Yeah, and that goes back to what do we maybe earlier. So don't just run a shit ton of sprints. Yes, because we need to know what's working. It's what's not. Maybe some, and that's where I have like my every athlete I've trained for you know a given period of time. If I have like a Brian Cushing who's going in, it was going into his ninth year in the NFL. I've been training him since he's a junior in high school. I know. What exercise I know what exercises carry over to sprinting faster for him? I know which ones carry over and and help him uh bench press more weight. I know what ones carry over to his jumping ability like you kind of know you have three to four three to five money exercises that carry over to each kind of athletic quality that we're trying to improve so when i'm coming up with his programming. I know, you know, heavy sled dragging works for this and board pressing works for this and uh, weighted box jumps will help with that. And you you choose kind of when you know when you're actually training for something specific you have those indicator exercises you could then choose your you know your workout more wisely the supplemental lifts the accessory stuff you're doing are all meant to build that main that main lift or exercise whatever it may be but if you're not if you're not periodically testing you, how do you know what you're doing and and right. wh- wh- how do you know what you're doing is working? And that's why certain times of the year you should have certain focuses. So like something like improving your team speed, that could be earlier in the offseason. We need to improve speed because once the season comes around, I, I agree. The most important aspect is your technical skill. And your ability to complete a game, your endurance, your quote-unquote sports-specific endurance. So strength and speed, we're trying to develop and build those during the early stages of the offseason. As the season gets closer, we want to maintain the progress we made. Let's maintain that newfound speed, but now let's be able to repeat that speed over and over and have that carry over into our lacrosse endurance. And now playing lacrosse becomes more important. Because the technical skill is – at the end of the day, if you're training for lacrosse, if you can't play lacrosse, all that strength and speed means nothing. So now the technical skill takes takes precedence. So it's – that's why I don't have one right answer all the time because it depends on the time of year, yep. who you are. You might need less technical at this point in your career. You might be focusing more on, uh, like, injury prevention, almost yep. like rehab, prehab-type exercises yep. to keep your body right because – you're at such a high level, technically, you don't need to spend as much time technically as the six-year-old who's learning to play that's lacrosse, right. 100% obviously. 100% different know? than th- – yeah, and
0: that's, abs- that's, that's what I talk about with my my sports therapist is that when you become – the the one percent of your craft amongst professionals, not just those who play, like the Jack Nicholas yes. of the world, where he there's a story that he that he shares on the often because golf is such a cerebral sport, is that Jack's son was on the tour and Jack was giving his son all of these uh, practice routines to work on, prepare himself for the next event. And then Jack's over on one of his islands vacationing. And he came back and he played and he won the event and his son was grinding out for several months in advance and his son looked at him he's like, Dad, you know what the hell? You haven't even swung a club. <laughs> And you come back, and it, the, the difference is that he had acquired that skill, and yes. then he was focusing on the other areas like his mental fortitude. So Jack walks on the course, and he doesn't f- overthink each stroke. He knows how to get up and down really well, and so that, that that way that you answered my first question, which was like, "Well, what are you talking about, Paul? Physical or mental? What differentiates a pro <laughs> athlete from yeah. from an amateur athlete?" So so you're
1: right there. You're right on there. It's so it, it, they're so like closely intertwined, the the psychological and the physiological. Uh, and it, that's another thing where people like argue on the, on the internet over like the one right answer. Like there's, I don't care what aspect of athletic development we're talking about. There's not one right answer, right? It's, it's, there's too many different variables, too many different athletes. There's, they're, they're all arguing like over, over these things that don't have one answer. And that's why. There's so much arguing that – and it, nobody ever wins the argument. It just goes on forever, and they wasted a whole bunch of time when we could have been helping some athletes actually get better. You yeah, know?
0: and that's why you lead the conversation from a content standpoint and why you did the blog and your YouTube channel. Yes. You're putting out a lot of this stuff because there's no one right answer. But when you did build your facility back in
1: 2003 – Yeah, that's when I first started. My yep. own I, – I, I started training athletes professionally in 1998 – I worked for another company right so i, which is I the got the traditional into path yes yes which i i would recommend like because i'm not a businessman like i am passionate about training athletes that's what i love that's what i wanted to do everything happens for a reason i'm glad i didn't start my business right out of college because i those first five years yeah like i was still i was in the gym 12 to 15 hours a day training people, you know, earning that, that real world experience, like that PhD in the gym kind of, you know, kind of thing. And which is invaluable. But then I go home and I would, I would study more training. It was just like, I was, what's the latest research? What's the, what's the newest book? What's the latest article? It was 100% engrossed in my craft. Then, you know, you get to that certain point where there's not too much new stuff. Not that I, I'm, I'm a lifelong student. I, I say that all the time. You know, a kind of lifelong white belt is what I consider myself in the training game. But not too much has trained changed in in training from 50 years ago. Like that, that that 1% at the top of like high, high level athletics. There's some studies that might contradict what people were saying 20 years ago. And there's little, little things here or there that will change. But as far as like the, the bulk of how do you get faster? How do you get stronger? How do you get more mobile? You, I have enough knowledge where I could probably help most people, uh, for the rest of my life. If I never read another training book, Yeah, I, I like staying up on all the, the latest research, but After that five years, I felt a little more comfortable where now I could take an hour or two each night and actually study business and grow my business. But I think in the beginning, in order to grow your business, you have to – everybody's talking about marketing and social media marketing and and marketing yourself on Instagram – but if you, if you can't get somebody – if you don't know basic anatomy and physiology and yes. you don't have experience and not just training yourself, like how many other people have you physically helped change their body and their life? Like to me, I feel like you should have five years minimal experience before you're even allowed to give advice on the internet, right. you know, not just like, well, I, I'm pretty shredded, I have abs, and I was born that way, but and now I'm going to take some pictures, post them on Instagram, have five hundred thousand followers. Yeah. But look at look at the people, the best coaches I know in this industry, nobody knows who they either don't have an Instagram or don't have a YouTube. They're like older guys that are just they're actually training all day. They don't care about you know the internet. Right. Like the the best information. There's a lot of great information online, and it's the best thing that ever happened to training, but it's the worst thing that ever happened to training because now 18-year-old kids with zero experience and just good genetics, good bodies are authorities on Instagram. And it's bizarre but people huh. fall for that stuff. Well,
0: you, you know? uh, yeah, your gym's private; it's application based. Yeah, uh, against the grain over this last decade, where we've seen a lot of full service at a low monthly fee. Yep, a lot of yep. Planet Fitness, where I saw you had a good uh, <laughs> Instagram post out about that. Um, very
1: appropriate, good timing.
0: You also encourage uh, group training, though, because you think having two to six folks together gives you the individual attention necessary to to grow, but there's also that collective uh, competitive drive that exists. And I would tend to agree with that having done both. Uh,
1: Yeah, even people will think, people will ask us like, oh, well, but uh, you do one-on-one with professional athletes, right? And I go, no, unless we'll meet with obviously the pro athletes and do an evaluation because everybody is different. But once they train, we like them in the gym at the same time. Doesn't necessarily mean – you're going to all do the same exact workout, obviously. And that's a mistake a lot of – or a misconception people have is, well, I'm training you know five lacrosse players all together, so they're all doing the same exact exercise, same reps, same sets. No, if one of them has a shoulder issue, like there could be 9 million issues, we're going to tweak that workout um, for their individual needs. And that's why we do the – initial evaluation is done separately, uh, individualized. We always have a long conversation first. I don't just – you don't call me on the phone schedule an appointment and we have session number one tomorrow. Like we're going to sit down and, and talk first, yeah. which there's not enough value placed in even that. But I like to get them once I, I know your deal and I design your program. Now I want you in there with a couple other guys just because the atmosphere, the camaraderie, uh, the competitiveness it's um, I have just seen better results in the group atmosphere. And if there are any personal trainers listening We have all been there when you have that one-on-one client that like has no personality and no drive and you're sitting there talking about the weather in between sets and it's the most boring worst hour of your life as opposed to give me five, you know, athletes in there, all competing, all pushing each other, friendly competition. It's, it more mimics what sport is, you know? Yes, there are some individual sports, but for the most part, you're you're either fighting for your position with another player. You're on the same team, working together, competing against each other. The atmosphere is better. As a coach, I I enjoy it much more. Um, it it makes the time even go faster. Like I'm, when I have I've done ten sessions in a row, and if there's three, five, six person and pe- people in a group, uh, that's that hour it feels like five minutes. It's yep. like a revolving door. Yep. You know, it's crazy. Yep. So. I, for for many reasons, the group the group atmosphere is better.
0: So, with your gym that you started, and we're talking through how you were talent calling it talent uh, for for the, for the business standpoint because <laughs> you were training all the athletes that were coming. There was your product; your name was on it. Yeah. So, and, and then you're also doing all the studying. and You also have to operate, and I and I know um, that that is probably the biggest challenge. Um, for any high performance specialist that's running his or her own shop is that you're putting so much work into the product and then you ha- actually have to put more into the business making sure that it yes. is covering everything from, from the, this, the out of the gates budget to paying bills on time, making sure you're not leaving any cash on the ground, just monitoring the growth and projections and all that type of stuff. Uh, you didn't have a business partner. Don't have a business partner on the gym side. So talk about like, how you were able to to do both through the first
1: five years. You said you got out of five years. How do you get through five years? <laughs> yeah. The, I, well, I think the the lesson I learned, and it just kind of naturally happened. But it's the advice I give to you know young aspiring gym owners and uh, business business in general because they're 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 all the same. There's a lot of overlap between every business. But just starting small and then growing slow like mm. the physical size of my first location a lot of people know was a 500 square foot storage closet it was like the size of the room we're sitting in right now was literally my gym it was a storage closet in the basement the downstairs of an existing health club so it was just a room i i paid you know he the the owner of the gym made a lot of money off it of a 500 square foot storage closet i was paying sixteen hundred dollars A month in rent, which to me was like just astronomical at the time. But looking back, that was my only overhead. Hmm. And now what I think of like the overhead that I've had with a 5,000 square foot facility and, um, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a month, that's nothing. So when you only have to worry about $1,600 a month and the little things, you know, like opening up the gym, the electricity, turning the lights on, that was all taken care of. Even though I was running my own show the The health club staff was taking care of all that, and we shared the bathroom. So even little things like that, yeah. I didn't have to worry about having somebody get toilet paper. And, yeah, you weren't
0: getting cable and internet, no, and, all that stuff. W- what about the There's a leak man? in the roof, you know. So I did you buy lease or is it your own? I bought. Yeah.
1: yeah, I I saved up enough money um, where I bought. I I spent half of my own money. I remember I had, I had just under ten thousand dollars worth of equipment, even though I only had four pieces I had a uh, a power rack a west side barbell power rack a reverse hyper a glute ham bench then I had like a stretching table and then accessories you know mm-hmm. weight plates barbell a lot of specialty barbells because I, I had a lot of things that did I had to get things that couldn't take up a lot of space yeah so an adjustable bench bands chains barbells so I had a lot of variety but pretty much only three or four main pieces I had my own money. And then the gym owner that owned the main health club was nice enough to put the other half up for me. Cause he knew that I, I had a name. I had kind of established a name. Um, and he saw the value of me bringing athletes in just having them in his gym. So he was, he was very helpful. I, I give him Phil Rosen. I give him a shout out. Uh, he, he was, he helped me out a lot. And, he just said, listen, I know you don't have much money. I, every penny I had, I put towards half the equipment. I had like five grand to my name, put five grand. He gave me the other four or five, and that's where he came about. I think maybe he was going to charge me 1200 a month, but he said, give me 1600 a month. And then at the end of whatever that math was, at the end of two years, you'll be all paid off. Yep. And uh, so what... Why I'm so thankful at the time I was almost in the beginning, I was a little embarrassed of how small the gym was because it was literally a storage closet. Like I can't stress that enough. It's not, um, you know, a story I make up to make my business sound cooler or make it a, a better Cinderella type story. Like it was a, a dingy storage closet in the back of the gym. And it was a little embarrassing, like when new parents would come in and they would call and because, oh, I want to come to take a tour of your gym yeah. and they come downstairs that I would bring them in and they kind of look around and say, well, you know, where's the rest of it? Where do you right. run? Where do you do this? Where do you do that? And I finally, you know, one, one of the other things I talk about, you know, with with business consulting is just being yourself. You know, mm-hmm. I was a little embarrassed and then it became our niche. Then it was cool. Then it was, wow, you got to go to this DeFranco guy like he's getting professional athletes better like people are physically changing their bodies you see when people train with that him they look different you know the the high school kids are all dominating these high school combines everybody whenever the high school combines were big at that time and they would post in the newspaper like who ran the fastest 40 or you know the all-county football team and the top guys were all wearing defranco's training t-shirts and that just kept bringing more and more people in and then i just got to the point where people wanted to come see if it was really a storage closet and then i was like you know what i'm going to i'm not going to be embarrassed of this anymore like it's so different compared to what all the other big fancy health clubs are doing and the like the other gyms that were training athletes all had like the indoor turf field and the indoor track. Yep. And it was these thirty, forty thousand 40,000 square feet faci- have a mega pool, facilities. My, yeah. No one's getting in the pool. <laughs> Granite countertops <laughs> in the bathroom and the you know all the amenities in the locker room. And here I was in a 500 square foot storage closet. And then just the uniqueness of it brought people in so now people are coming because of the results but now they're also showing up when i'm saying well how did you hear about me they're saying well we heard you were training guys out of a storage closet i just wanted to come and see if this was if this was real or people were like fabricating the story and that's why i learned a lesson about you know just be yourself be be unique don't try to copy anyone else like whatever you're passionate about whatever you know i liked those types of gyms growing yeah. up i, lo- I love rocky balboa was my hero you know growing yeah. up so like i love that and once i embraced that my business exploded but i was able to manage it because it was manageable like i was still able to train people 12 15 yeah. hours a day and the only thing i really had to worry about was pay that rent pay that 1600 bucks at the end of the month and um, you know keep track of sessions and then that enabled me to learn business a little bit along the way and then when i i moved in 3 years in the storage closet before i moved into my own facility that i could yeah. truly call my own but that was even that was 2500 square feet a warehouse that was my own which was definitely a step up. Now I had my own electric and, you know, I had to worry about property taxes and, you know, all the, if the toilet was, was broken and we had a leak, like all that became my responsibility, but it, it was a nice like gradual easing into that, you know? And then I was there for three years before I moved into 5,000 square feet. So growing slow, starting small and growing slow was a huge help if my third facility was my first facility we might not you know i might have went out of business in a year and we're not talking right now
0: two questions the first is keeping track of sessions did you do that on pen and paper Do you have an excel sheet
1: original uh pen and yeah pen uh, a notebook literally a pen and paper like you know Paul Rabels twenty four yeah. sessions today. Oh, he came in today. Check yeah. tomorrow. Check session <laughs> three able, of twenty four. So, so, what do you use now? <laughs> now, um, there's a yeah, and then yeah. there's um, software like Team Builder. There's a lot of different Got softwares it. where you could keep track yep. of sessions and, much and, better than yeah, that. And, and
0: second, so. You always knew you had a product, that's why you took on the risk and and you built this this company, this brand, off of what was core and and what you knew uh, was going to be useful as a utility to your athletes. There are many entrepreneurs that, that feel the same way about their product, no matter the industry that they're in, but they're still in that vulnerable and embarrassed state. You had your proof of concept. The word got out that, hey, you got to check out DeFranco. He's in the storage closet, and he's turning athletes' lives around, and that made you feel more comfortable. When the parents first came in, when you were less comfortable, what, what was your response to
1: them when they were like, this is it? Yeah, I guess it, I guess it was give me a chance let me show you you know yeah. show you what i could do and i i always had before i had my own place i did i had 5 years experience underneath my belt so i had that that social proof so to speak of hey you don't have to take my word for it here's you, you know 50 other high school football players if their son was a high school football player you know here's some of the high school football players i've worked with if you want to talk with them here's some of the girl volleyball players i've worked with so i always used i always tried to stay in in good shape myself you know kind of walk the walk talk the talk and then you have the clientele and then you know so i I always said if you want to feel free to talk to any of my clients i'm not ask them whatever you want and i always developed real good relationships which is huge in our business with my clients that they would you know they would sell me better than i could sell me and that was the word of mouth, it, to this day, even with social media, word of mouth is still my best form of advertising. It's the best um, across the board for any business. Convert yeah, you can't beat it. Plus percent of the time. And, and I've experienced that real world with my business. So, um, you know, I, I had that. And then it, I think you could... If parents asked the right questions, you could sense, you know, the bullshit. Because there were... After about three years when my gym really started to develop a name and and pro athletes were now endorsing me, then it started out with one other kind of performance training facility, one other gym specializing in training athletes besides mine within a, a 10, 15-minute drive of my gym. After my third year in business, there was 12. Wow. We went from two to 12 mm-hmm. and everybody... And now the new model, What once they saw me, because the other gym was 30,000 square feet mm. and then it was DeFranco's. Next thing you know, there's 11 other 500 to 1,000 square feet like warehouse garage gyms saying, oh, I do what DeFranco's does, but I don't charge as much. Or I, I have the same equipment that he does. Everybody's pitching themselves as, oh, I do what DeFranco's does, but better. I do this, but cheaper. And I think the parents that did their due diligence and maybe went and spoke with some of the other trainers realized if they asked the right questions you can't fake knowledge and that's where just being a nerd and really you know getting my phd in the real world so to speak helped me i think if they asked me you know a question like we were talking about your shoulder before we started if they were like "Oh, my son just coming off of rotator cuff surgery do you have any experience with that what would you do you the trainer down the street, who just went on my YouTube channel and copied my my equipment and says, "I do exactly what the Francos does." And then you say, well, what do you do with uh, post six week post op rotator yeah. cuff surgery? And they're like, I'm going to, you know yeah. that's Or where... the pain
0: is just right
1: here when yeah. I do this movement. Yeah, it's like, whoa. Let me go Google that real quick. Hold on, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. And th- so that's I had the experience over them. So and and listen, I lost when you have 12 other gyms, you're going to lose a couple people. But I, I humbly say the amount of kids that went and trained with other uh, trainers. And then came back to me. I don't know what the exact percentage was, but it was it was pretty high. Like a couple yeah. kids that kind of disappeared and said, Oh man, I really like Trammy, but my mom said, you know, so and so is cheaper. He's charging only yeah. 20 bucks a session. Two, three months later, they were right back. And it actually helped my business because I it was three years. We we there added those, there was 12 gyms. And then three years after that. It was down to like four. They, they mm-hmm. a bunch of them came and went within two years, yep. and then it just made my brand even stronger because I was like one of the originals, standing the test of time. Yep. You know, it, it's yep. funny how that's another one that comes up a lot. Is people will say, "This guy, I have a gym. I've been I've been established for three years, and this a hole open up a gym on the same street as me." I go if you're good if you're good enough to me that never bothered me. Open up. Actually, I want you to open up right next door to me because then I could really show parents compare what I'm doing right. to what they're doing. And if somebody's running their business solely on trying to put you out of business or to be like you, it never works. I always had tunnel vision. Like I knew what was going on around me, but I'm not worrying about. I know they're trying to copy me, so that just motivated me to always stay ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. I was. I was getting my real world experience because I had I had clients. You know, people were knocking down my door. I'd like I had a a six week waiting list and people begging to get in the gym. So I'm getting that real world experience. I'm going home. I'm staying up until three in the morning reading, training. I'm going to seminars. I'm reading Mm -hmm. books while I see these guys going. You know, down the shore and you know going on vacation. And that always motivated me too. Like, oh, you're gonna beat me, but. I don't you know i don't sleep i don't go on vacation i was single at the time like i lived that business and i knew you weren't going to outwork me yeah you know and that's why i bring it on like you could open up 10 gyms around yep. me i'm not going anywhere
0: it's the same mindset that we were talking about differentiates those top performing yes. pro athletes that you had mentioned right out of the gates now your now your role has evolved more after the five years of surgence of the business, you're now dealing exclusively probably with the premium athletes because you're operating, and, and more recently you said you're, you're learning about how to run the business and the future of the business and the brands, and you, you've built a, a subscription-based uh, yes. business as well that we want to talk about, but how, have you positioned yourself there through delegating? the responsibilities now to people that you trust who can continue to train those that you don't have the time to do.
1: Yes, and uh, but I will say this. One thing I've had a, man, I've had enough offers that I can't, I don't know the exact number, but enough offers to franchise the gym. Mm-hmm. And I if bet. anybody- <sighs> I bet. <laughs> yeah, it's that was one I've passed up many, because a lot of people still say, why didn't you franchise? Because if you know anything about my business, we kind of gone full circle, where now I'm back to- I went from 500 square feet 2500 5000 um in the Onnit facility which was man that, I don't know how big the entire facility was 10 or 15000 yep. square feet. Now our main business is back in New Jersey 1000 square foot gym just me and Cameron Joss. It's like my my right-hand man and the most talented trainer um as far as like physical preparation that I've ever been around hmm. and you know I'm I'm proud of it too cuz he has he was one of my clients as a high school kid trained with me through high school through college really became interested you know saw how you know he talks about his life being changed by being in the gym and being around the athletes and decided that's what I want to do for a living Went and did it, you know, studied exercise fizz and got his degree. He's got a master's degree. Now he's taken like his education to the next level. Then, you know, he's far surpassed me, which I'm proud of. Now he's my go-to training guy. Hmm. When, when I want to know what's going on in the training world, like, Hey Cam, what are the, what's, what's the newest studies out there? What, you know, what's, what's the latest he's running our private facility in New Jersey training, you know, 98% of the athletes that are coming in, he's doing that. So, you know, he's someone that I've trusted and delegate. Most people that call and want to train with me are going to train with Cameron, which it's, it's not a step down. It's a step up at this point. Like I said, he's as, as good as they come in the industry, he's young, he's hungry. And, um, we have made a great team and the results we're getting, um, are better than we've ever gotten Hmm. But that smaller, the smaller facility, which is more like a lab, we have access to the newest technology. But it's our the atmosphere that that built my brand was built on that that kind of hardcore dungeon of a gym. But the 2017 version with we have equipment that you know things that are worth twenty thousand dollars, like different technology for measuring strength, speed. We could we could measure every different. And they're just sending Physical. you this. The, the yeah, companies, yeah, companies, are companies now you are you. sending stuff because they want our because you're the thought input Because yep. you know, Hey, go use this on your athletes and then tell us what you think. How can we make it better? Or, you know, if it's already as good as it could be, you know, tell us the results you're getting. And they, that has helped us. You, you still need, you need to, we were talking about, you need to be able to interpret that data and come up with proper programming. But Cameron's someone who could do that. But now, you know, I love that, that little facility we have because, we only take on about 15 to 20 clients at a time. They're not all pro athletes. Some of them are high school kids, but it's super dedicated. Like, if you're not into training, if you don't want to get to the next level, yep. you're not coming to this gym. Yep. It, it's small, it's focused, it's private. He's, he's you talk about delegating and, and having kind of partners. He's my guy with the training aspect of the business, and then the online aspect, uh, Jim Smith, Jim Smitty Smith, a lot of people know from diesel strength and conditioning he's been a longtime friend of mine we do the DVDs we have a bunch of DVDs together uh, we partnered and created the CPPS certification it's called yep. certified physical preparation specialist uh, one of the best w- we feel the best physical preparation uh, certification out there just because I've had everyone why we decided to come up with that is because I've taken is that an every online other course. course. It's both. We have in person, yep. and we also offer it online. Yep. And it's just based on our forty-plus years of combined experience. And as far as you know, science plus practice, you're not going to get much better from the basics of breathing. Um, way more in depth. I know we kind of touched on the breathing thing when we first got started. From breathing to high performance, you know, agility training and strength training, and everything in between, we cover. We cover that. And he's my partner on that. And the DeFranco Insider, which right. is the membership, the subscription-based site where we have exclusive videos, seminars, um, f- private forum that you could ask myself, Smitty. Uh, Cameron jumps on that with us, answers questions from our members. Um, but all, most of the online stuff I, I have with Smitty. And then we, I started a, a small supplement company with my nutritionist, Dr. Tom Belela, right. who Changed my life a year ago, did full extensive blood work, food sensitivity testing, vitamin, mineral deficiencies, uh, an, an androgen analysis, the whole deal, and changed my life through the diet and supplementation. So he has access because he is in that field, has access to professional-grade supplements, not like the sports supplements that m- mostly fills, you know, the GNCs and the vitamin shop. These are things that doctors and yep. nutritionists... How like. does a
0: consumer cut through all that? They, they, there's, they, there's so many products. It, it's, it's very difficult. GNC shelves are littered more than Whole Foods is with, like, different organic protein bars.
1: Yeah, I, the, the best advice I give, because it is dif- difficult, and every supplement company, anybody involved in the supplement company is going to tell you their supplements are the best. I'm going to tell you there aren't any better from a quality standpoint. Are there other quality companies? Companies like Metagenics and the, there's certain companies that deal with doctors and nutritionists and registered dietitians. They're the, the the higher quality ones like ours are marketed the least. If you see the more marketing a, a supplement usually has, and if you have those buzz buzzwords I talk about like rage, explode, extreme, yeah. with, and the it's a fancy wrapper with you know just. I'm not saying they're all bad. Just what I would say is don't just read the supplement facts. You know, you everybody looks – You if you're going to go buy protein powder, you grab it and you go, how many grams of protein is right. in this? And then you go, oh, this one's a better buy. There's 50 grams of protein in one scoop and only, you know, 20 grams in this scoop. Don't just read the macros. Go down to the ingredients and read all the ingredients. And then if you can't understand, you know – Eighty percent of those words, or pronounce them. Just know that's being put into your body, and and be cautious of the proprietary blends. If you hear like protein, you know Johnny Muscles proprietary blend, sixteen hundred grams. That's the problem. Proprietary blends. Blend means we don't have to tell you what the hell's in there. Right. It could be horse manure, like we don't have to, you know. Yeah, and they say figure and, it out. and
0: their backup is like, "Well, we don't want to tell you cuz we don't want it to be copied." And yeah, it's the best. Yeah. It's BS. It's right.
1: BS cuz trust me, there's nothing th- there's there's no cra- there's no magic supplement pill, chemical out there that, that's going to, you know, pack on muscle and burn fat. It's they're they're doing that because they don't want to tell you what's actually in there or the, the minuscule amounts of that good ingredient that they might list. But, you know, studies say, for example, you need 10 grams of a certain compound. They use those studies and say, studies shown to, you know, increase muscle by 107%, 107%, but they're using 0.5 grams instead of 10 grams in one of their servings. Yep. And, but you don't know that because it just says proprietary blend, you know, at, you know whatever, protein blend, X, Y, Z. So ours doesn't have any proprietary blends. Our, our protein has five ingredients in it. Not. I, I just did a YouTube video where I took my favorite protein powder from five years ago that I lived on. But all I looked at was how many grams of protein was in it. And it tasted really good. Yeah. And I was a big bloated mess five years ago. I put a before and after picture up. And I like didn't realize how frigging bloated I was. I was 236 pounds, like 24% body fat. And then I looked. And I'm like, there was 42 ingredients in just the protein powder. Whew. But And... 90 percent of them i never you know i'm somewhat well educated why in do this. they do that it's
0: cheaper and they make it, it just taste cheaper and... it's a
1: lot of artificial fillers yeah. flavors dyes yes uh um sugar just to make it to make it taste good and then preservatives if that's right they want that thing to be able to shelf. stay on the shelf for three years where ours might be able to stay on the shelf a couple months before you like buy a loaf of bread at whole foods and people get mad because it, it's got mold on it in three days, but by wonder bread at Shoprite, right. And yep. it could stay on your counter for three weeks or more. There's a reason, yep. you know, for that.
0: So we'll link to all of Joe's supplements in the show notes. So you guys can go through them back to the high school and college athlete that you train, that you want them taking specific supplements. If they're in a good place, a place where you're confident on the direction, the intention spelled out, they may have a fight in a few months, whatever it is. Um, what 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 do they have to take pre post workout uh or before they sleep uh,
1: not f- well first and foremost is food, and I know it's like yep. the generic answer, but it's got it it has to be we listen and i'm a guy that is now involved in a supplement company, and not too many other people involved in the supplement company will tell you there's not many supplements you need, especially as a younger kid, you should be getting that through food. What I would say to me the the fast food for athletes because a lot of athletes eat fast food myself included when i was in high school i was i thought i was healthy but we still went to mcdonald's after football practice right. <laughs> what i what i would say is a a quality protein powder because you know high school kids are busy too they're in class they're yep. on the go they can't they don't have access to a refrigerator or a microwave or they don't have access to food but they got practice they got a million things going on so you know Protein powders get a bad rap and and rightfully so, but if you purchase some of the higher quality ones that are, you know, natural, don't have any proprietary blends, they shouldn't have much more than five or six ingredients. There are still some out there that still taste good. To me, that's like fast food for athletes, because most high school kids don't get enough protein. Right. It's a lot easier to grab carbs along the way. You could get yep. some rice cakes, you could but like oh, a yeah. quality You know, chicken or fish or a steak or you know, if if it's just not as easy to get, so that's where I think you get some protein powder, put two scoops. uh, You know, maybe you make it in the morning, throw a banana in there if you want to. You know, add add whatever, blend it up. You might not even have to blend it if the protein tastes good enough. You have some protein, you you shake it up, and you could at least you could carry it in your bag or just pre pre-put the two scoops of powder in your little shaker cup yep. and then after practice, fill it with water, slam it down. So at least you're not going five, six, seven hours without food. So that would be like my kind of a, it's not foundational because if you're eating right, you don't need it. But th- the reality is in the real world, most athletes, most yep. kids aren't eating enough.
0: Would you prefer your athletes eating four or five meals, smaller uh, yes. portions a day?
1: Generally speaking, um, the I like to do, Th- yeah, three to four realistically solid meals. And then that's where I think the shakes come in handy. If you could do, they could, they could, they all still count as a meal. It's just a liquid meal. If you could eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, have a shake post workout. And then maybe even before bed, uh, if it's easier, you could have another shake or a snack, something like cottage cheese or a yogurt, kind of like a lighter snack. But that's generally a better way to go than just gorging yourself uh at lunch and then again when you go home at night you know that's that's a good way to put weight on you know most obese people that's how they eat like oh i don't barely eat in the morning and then i have lunch and then most people they just have two big meals and if you want to gain weight it's actually not a bad uh way to gain weight is eat less meals but just have them bigger to kind of slow down the metabolism yeah that makes Uh, sense you kind of borrow borrow uh, might sound politically incorrect, but like borrow from the fat people. If you're like a hard gainer that can't gain weight, your metabolism's racing. So eating those, you know, smaller meals all day might make it continue to race. Hmm. At the end of the day, you still need to put a lot more calories in. If you're one of those kind of hard gainers, you need more calories in than you're burning. So regardless of how you get it, that's the most important. If it's over six meals or two meals, you need to get the calories in. But it's, it's almost people that have had trouble gaining weight when I've said, you know what, try to go back old school instead of trying to do it the the right way and doing five or six meals a day, eat bigger meals three times a day. And that has helped a lot of these like skinnier hard gainers pack some muscle on.
0: So so you need to take in more calories than you're spending a day to- and that's just to keep storage A lot of people have the mindset just as you would look at a a business or, you know, any class as you want. If you want to maintain your weight, you try a net. Yes. But are you saying we got to take more in calories every day or is it depending? I know this is all of a customizable conversation, too. Everybody's a little
1: bit different because of genetics and metabolism. But generally speaking, if you want, if you like, if you're, if you are good the way you are, you don't want to gain weight or lose weight. Everybody has a. A baseline of the amount of calories you expend during the course of the day just sitting here talking. Um, how much you train mm-hmm. is going to be a factor in. So you need to factor all that in. Let's say your body burns on average, you know, 2,700 calories a day. If you weighed 190 pounds, you need to eat 2,700 calories a day in order to maintain that 190 pounds. Yep. If you say, I want to get to 200, but I want it, I don't want to just gain fat, I want it to be lean, good body weight we need to eat more than 2,700 calories a day because you need extra protein, extra nutrients to build. You're Now you're trying to build something, add something you don't have. Yep. So you need excess to do that. Yep. Uh, and if you want to lose weight, you would have to take in less calories than you're expending. Like. What What's your thought uh, high level around,
0: because I'm sure this could be uh, an entire podcast or several on its own around ketogenic to Paleo, to Atkins, to hybrid ca- Atkins, all, all these different diets that that are out there probably more of a customized conversation per the athlete, as well as the age and injury and stuff
1: like that. Yes, I think they all. Th- th- that's another one we were talking about. Internet arguing, like the when the the, the Paleo guy or the Keto guy argues with the pro carb guy, it's just asinine because they all have they they all have their pros and cons right. and. It's a you know my my nutritionist could talk a lot better on this than I can, but there are there's genetic factors too. Mm -hmm. Like there's some people who eat keto and they're it's they feel better, they're healthier, uh, they get blood work done, and everything's cool. But then there's some people who might have some pre-existing you know, liver, kidney issues or cholesterol issues. And they go to that keto diet and now they're eating bacon and they're putting butter in their coffee. And like, that's not, that's not the best thing for <laughs> so them. That might be the worst thing. So the keto is like 70% do. fats, Fat, right? Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and it's saying that fat's actually a better source of fuel than, than carbs. Yes. Where do you fall kind of there between the traditional athlete mindset of let's carb up and now the studies coming out. LeBron James did keto in an off season. And again, you're, you're prefacing this, which I think is right is like, understand what your body can digest and what it needs probably through blood testing. Yeah. Well,
1: that was going to be my answer. um, Because like Paul, Triple H, Paul Veck eats mostly keto. He's, and I, five years ago, I was like, there's no way when, when he really starts training for WrestleMania and we pick up the pace and he's telling me he's going to have a, Thirty-minute match against the Undertaker. In my head, I'm like, "Well, he's not going to do the keto. They're certainly not going to do keto. He did it. He looked great. He felt great. He didn't pull a muscle. It went against everything I Jesus, believed in. Yeah. So, but I still wouldn't recommend it. I don't even know if he would recommend it to everybody, uh like a, a, a lacrosse player, or a football player. But th- that's what made me really realize, like people are arguing over things and you could hear there's there's some brilliant brilliant people that will speak on keto and really you'll listen to them and you'll say like that's the way to go like you know the fat is the the energy source but glycogen is the quickest the one thing i will say is like glycogen is you have access to that store the fastest because glycogen stores are in your muscles so like if i'm doing a bicep curl and I need so-called "quote unquote" energy to get through that set. It's getting it directly from the bicep. You know, if I'm sprinting, like it's getting glycogen is is direct energy in the working muscle. Where fat fat energy is kind of systemic; it's throughout your body. So there's an argument that, and this isn't my expertise, but generally I, I feel like athletes need carbs. I don't think carbs is the enemy. Um, so, general, my recommendations are to eat healthy you know you want for most high school kids i'll start them by saying try to do an equal amount of protein and carbs like yep. if you split your your yep. plate up if you did like a 40 40 20 you know 40 percent protein 40 percent carbs 20 oh, wow. percent healthy fats yeah it's a good start for most people instead of being on you know one end of the extreme keto which is mostly fat and protein and no carbs or really really low carbs or the other end of the spectrum uh, like a vegan diet that's that's high in carbohydrates i'm always like let's start the answer a lot of times lies in the middle let's start in the middle but if you're a high level athlete even at the high school level and this is something i've really been pushing over the last year year and a half you got to get blood work done yeah. it's i talked about when you when i mentioned the supplements the reason why the supplements changed my life is because and i take less supplements now than i've ever taken in my life I got extensive blood work and this is, you can't go to like it's your general expensive. practitioner. It's expensive. Uh, insurance will cover some of it or even in, in a, some cases, most of it, but in some cases it won't. Yeah. But this is your life and your health you're talking about. I got extensive blood work where, um we and i could if you wanted to post i could I could give you the specific tests I had, but yep. I had tests on my food sensitivities my my vitamin and mineral deficiencies, my hormone levels. I think it was three or four um you know really really extensive blood work, but it wasn't just one blood panel it was i mean they took like thirteen or fourteen vials of blood and it's not a one and done thing right you should have an
0: oil change every couple of years or yes
1: yeah. i i w well actually they say if you can every three to six months would be even better because then you want to see the changes that you're making. Yeah. Are they... Your blood work, remember, too, it's it's a snapshot. Like, just because you could have a couple bad days of eating or, you know, a, a couple weeks, say... And some things are off. You could train a really hard training session could throw off. You could have elevated liver enzymes and you think, oh, my God, something wrong with my liver. But it's because you did some high intensity interval training a couple hours before you had the blood work and you could get blood work literally a week later. And though that liver issue you had is completely gone. Hmm. So i think gen- i think three even six months is fine i've been trying to do every three i've been doing more like three to six wow but what that did was i was like i said i thought i was healthy i'm training i'm eating quote-unquote healthy i'm taking supplements i'm drinking shakes and i staying was staying hydrated staying hydrated yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah water let's start with that i fucking stay hydrated um, everyone drink water yeah yeah we're both drinking it right now uh th- I was 236 pounds, like 24, 25% body fat. Thinking I was like, well, I'm just kind of a bulky guy. It's a genetic thing. Like I'm strong. That's all that matters. I get this food out al- food sensitivity test done. I find out I'm I'm there's a difference between allergy and sensitivity, but I'm I'm my body is reacting to all these, not all these foods, but some of the foods that I'm eating almost every day two of which were apples and chicken. Apple is the fruit that I eat the most. Chicken is the protein that I eat the most. Mm-hmm. I come up highly sensitive to them. Hmm. Long story short, I cut out all the foods that I'm sensitive to, only cut out all my supplements, only take the, the vitamins and minerals that I came up extremely deficient in. I was extremely deficient in vitamin D, mm-hmm. which a lot of people are. Magnesium, all you athletes out there listening – most are are deficient in magnesium vitamin d vitamin d for sure i was yeah growing up
0: playing hoops you're indoors, inside yep all day you get no sun exposure especially during the winter
1: and and vitamin d deficiencies have been associated everything from heart disease to cancer like it's Mm -hmm. it's it's not good so you want to get those levels checked um don't just go taking a massive amount of vitamin d either because in high levels it could be toxic yeah so you got to be careful with vitamin d but just to give an example, like vitamin D, I was extremely deficient. Vitamin uh, magnesium, I was extremely deficient. Uh, my omega, omega-3s, especially D DHA, I was extremely deficient. The hormone pregnenolone, I was like flatlined, zero. Hmm. So basically, there's five or six things that I was really, really bad off the charts. I threw away all my other supplements went with a high-quality manufacturer that's only dealing with nutritionists and doctors. I didn't just go to you know the the, the cheapest brand at ShopRite. I got high-quality vitamin D. And, and in the specific amount, my nutritionist said, your levels are here, so in order to get them to normal or optimal, you're probably going to need, for me, it was 20,000 IUs a day, which is a lot, yep. but that's what my body needed. And I did all these things. When I tell you within days... I felt, I felt sick for a couple of days. Cause it was like a shock yeah. cutting out these foods that I was eating all the time, uh, taking, you know, wow. new doses of supplements. My physique changed, you know, I was leaner had abs for the first time in my life at 41, never had abs wow. when I was playing football, like lean eating good, um, abs for the first time in my life at 41 felt better thinking straighter, not needing a, you know, seven cups of coffee to get through the day. Hmm. Uh, it just literally changed my life mm-hmm. and that was because i got blood work done i didn't supplement with you know the things that were advertised in the bodybuilding magazine by the bodybuilders saying you know get ripped have a massive pump this and that i supplemented with vitamins and minerals i was deficient in and my body needed i added uh, like hormones that i did pregnenolone and dha which if you're an athlete you they're not Um, the NCAA, uh, they are banned by the NCAA, but for any older, uh, if you're over 35 listening to this very common for men to be deficient in DHEA and pregnenolone. And if you are as deficient as I was just even doing, um, TRT, like testosterone replacement, you might, a lot of people don't get anything out of that. If the precursors, you know, the, the pregnenolone and the DHEA are low, and that's what they thought I might be that guy. So we started me on DHA and pregnenolone and my physique and my life and even my cognitive function changed without having to go that route. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it at, at uh once you get older. But again, if you could prolong that and, and do it a little, I don't want to say healthier, but. You know, j- just give your body the things that it needs. Mm-hmm. That's when you start functioning at an optimal level. So, yeah.
0: and this just isn't only high performance athletes. This, this, is, this is life. Is just performance in yeah. life. Yes. Yeah. And and uh, coalescing all of this is why uh, you're in the position where you are today. From a media standpoint, from a brand standpoint, still executing on site with your business partner and and uh, and, and your and your co uh, fitness enthusiasts and and SNCs. You've compiled all of this into DeFranco's Insider, which yeah. now you're getting ready to relaunch. It was in market and you guys learned from it. You took feedback from your customers. You realize areas where you can improve, and now you're getting and now you're getting ready to relaunch this again, a subscription-based exclusive service where you get an exercise index, training logs. Private members only Facebook groups, access to some of your talent content, challenges and giveaways.
1: Yeah, it's uh, yeah, I appreciate the mention. We're very very proud of it. It's um for all the noise out there. There's a lot of pseudo experts. There's a lot of um, it gets confusing. If you're someone that's like, oh, I want to get in shape, whether you're a high level pro athlete or you know, 41 year old, you know, father, mother, and you're just like, ah, I want to get in shape. Like, but man, what do I? Where do I start? We're very proud of the the insider because it's it's that a community of like minded people. There's no arguing on our forums. It's like everybody's helping each other out. You don't only have access to myself and Smitty, uh, Jim Smith. You have, you know, a couple hundred other members from all over the world that are going through the same things you're going through and helping each other out. And we have all I mean, I don't know how many programs we have on there. Dozens of full programs, you know, 12, 18 week programs, hundreds and hundreds of exclusive videos, private seminars we've done, and just so much information that whatever you need, if you if you're looking for a new workout to, you know, you're getting bored in the gym and you want to spice something up. We have that. If you're just looking for a new exercise, you hurt your shoulder and you're like, man, I need a new, my shoulder hurts when I bench press. Like I, I what should I do for it? We, we have shoulder rehab protocols and, and what we did was, and I'm no tech guy and that's when you, you have to, you know, refer and, and hire, you know, w- with people who are, are, better at you know certain things than you are, and I'm definitely not a computer guy, but we're the new feature we're gonna have is these pathways where we could say your ultimate goal is to to run a faster 40 yard dash. Mm-hmm. There are pathways to go through the whole process where maybe we'll show you how to condition develop the general strength and flexibility in your lower body that you're going to need and then it might move into you know the best plyometric exercises to improve speed and then the best speed drills and then the actual technique of running a 40-yard dash so it's instead of just a bunch of random exercises that you're like this is great but what do i do with all this there's also going to be these pathways of do you want to put muscle on Do you want a better upper body Do you want to get leaner Do you want to jump higher and then take you through that whole process from the training to the flexibility yeah. um and, and everything in between yeah. it, it's really really uh a phenomenal service yeah
0: it's great and and talking about you know sticking to your guns and what you're really good at we've, we've talked about going from your facility at 500 square feet up to 5,000 and higher and then back down to a thousand that's that's the core enterprise, but the rest of the world that wants access to Joe and his team can't, but you can get <laughs> it here. And and I'm familiar with this, having done it in lacrosse with the Paul Rabel experience, although not as sophisticated and and not, I would say, uh, um, um, yet to have the full uh, grapple over what it takes to be great, as I, I'm, I'm certain you do in your space through sheer experience, will and grit. but. Memberships, nineteen dollars a month, hundred and ninety seven dollars a year. I like the two hundred ninety-seven dollar lifetime option. That has been
1: the most popular has one. It? It's, it's, we don't it's have that steal. in the experience. I think that's
0: great. I'm like sitting here taking notes, like, oh well, man, so lifetime's interesting.
1: It's funny because most business um, you know, business consultants will say get rid of that because you want recurring the, revenue. the recurring revenue. But mm-hmm. we it's a testament and we we thought about it because when we first put the site up it's like 70% of the signups bought the lifetime. We do the same thing with annual. Yeah. I I look at it as it's to me, it makes me very proud and, and and Smitty as well. It shows people trust us. Like they know we're in it for the long haul. Mm -hmm. If you grab that thing. And I I mean, I think the first year you got to steal from it, but if we're around, we're, we're, I plan on doing this until I'm no longer around. So, you know, for 200, less than 300 bucks, you think 10 years from now, you know that one time fee all the information like the on a daily basis out. you it's you can't beat it but yeah. um yeah so the business people told us not to do it but i feel like we have such a loyal following and and i appreciate that so much you want to give back it's not always about well what's the best thing for business a lot of times just doing the right thing is the best thing for business and i feel like that's the right thing to offer that to our like really really loyal yeah. I don't want to even call them fans because I've. We kind of get to know. That's what I like about it. Even though there's a couple hundred people in there, you know, you get to know them by name. I might not meet them all in person. I met two people from the Defranco Insider. I met at SummerSlam, yep. you know, just yesterday just in person, back, yeah, yeah. and I felt like I've known them my whole life, but we met for the first time. But that's well, that's how we met. I walked right up to you
0: and shook your hand, and while you were
1: working out on an elliptical yeah, yeah. at WrestleMania, yeah, it's it's. Yeah. I and I don't know if you have the same. I battled with this and it was like, yeah, I don't want to put the membership site. Like I always battle with like, what's, cause I, I don't have that. I'm not like a killer, like business guy. Like I always want to do the right thing. And I always felt like, well, I don't want to water down my information. But then I realized I, I started, I was doing a lot of consulting two years ago and it was like one-on-one consulting. You know, I charged a premium for it. I did it for a couple of weeks and it, like a lot of the people are having the same problems and I'm like. Now I don't feel right, I'm charging each individual, but I feel like I just did the same consult. 90% of what I was talking about with my four o'clock appointment was the same thing that I spoke about with my Mm -hmm. six o'clock appointment and the same thing I talked about next week. And I was like, a lot of people in business suffer from the same issues. And then if you're in the same business, like I'm like, I'm answering the same question over and over, like let's create a space where instead of paying $500 for an hour consult, Pay twenty dollars a month and now all you people that are kind of dealing with the same thing and everybody is an individual but some of the big business problems we've all dealt with growing pains and dealing with staff or whatever it may be we've all dealt with the same thing so I was like i'm actually i'm not watering it down i'm helping them I'm giving yeah. them a premium product for twenty bucks a month and access to hundreds of people yeah. from around the world to talk to when I'm not around. So. I get
0: the sensitivity around it, and I feel it too from time to time because we're not in the same conventional tangible space yeah. where we're helping them with the bar or I'm helping them with their shot specifically, but the instruction's the same. But what you're doing really well uh, is is adding the community layer, which you don't get in the tangible space, which a lot of the top tech CEOs that have built these unicorn billion dollar companies um, the community, the engagement that Joe DeFranco's uh, athletes, fans, subscribers, however you term them, then working together is an additional value prop that you can only get through this technology. That's, and a great that's point. really valuable. Um, we've covered a ton.
1: Yeah. We I mean, covered I've a ton. We talked way too much. <laughs> no, I it, was, it was amazing.
0: Um, you were uh, inducted into the 2015 Personal Trainer Hall of Fame. Congratulations! Yes, thank
1: you. I, that yeah. came out of nowhere, but I appreciate that. I uh,
0: well, I'm, you know, I'm trying. I'm, I, this isn't. My, I'm, I'm not like a traditional studio host or interviewer. These this has been a lot <laughs> of fun. No so I fucked the man. Fuck this thing. Now, uh, th- th- I think that was that was really cool. I had that in my notes, and I, I wanted to ask one last question, separate from all of this. And we're sitting here at uh, Digital Media Studios, uh, which is a partner of mine with the podcast here on the Upper West Side, and uh, we shuffled into the UFC area, which is also part of the community. And there's a big fight this yeah. weekend, which will be past us by the time everyone's listening to us, which is the McGregor-Mayweather uh, fight. So it's not about who's going to win that. Um, what, what, I, what it is about is, uh, you know, I hear this all the time, and then Dana White was on a pod, a buddy of mine, Scott Soschnick at Bloomberg, who was running it, and they asked him, hey, what do you tell people that say, oh, I'd get in the ring with Tyson formally, or I'd get in the ring with McGregor, I'd get in the ring with, with Mayweather for a million bucks or 20 million bucks, and I'll eat the hospital bill any day of the week. And Dana was like, "Well, you know, they're not. Uh, you know, they're not going to go through the training. They're not going to go through all the PR." And he was covering all this stuff. And I actually thought, because I think the world of Dana White, I think he's brilliant, and and uh, we would take him in, in in lacrosse any day to run pro lacrosse. <laughs> Anybody? But, would, but I yeah. think he. But I think he actually missed it in, in, to the extent of. Of uh the the question logically, yeah, sure, someone's gonna get paid twenty million dollars, go hop in a ring and get your brain knocked out and 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 sure, if you want to take that risk. But to me, it's actually you know comes down to almost the first question where a pro is is only getting that chance because a pro does all this sacrificing to win. Yes. That's what sport's about, that's what UFC is about. That's what cross about baseball, basketball, football. You're not in there to take a punch yep. or to make a few bucks. Travis Pastrana on our show that, that just recently launched said that about action sports before he built Nitro Circus into a billion-dollar company. It's like a lot of the best freestyle or big air riders, they do it because they love it. You're not, getting, you're not even getting the opportunity unless you want to win.
1: Yeah. And, and you don't get to that point unless you put all, you know, I was like hearing the backstory of people like when, you know, so, so to speak, nobody was watching the sacrifice, the time and yeah, the love of when you weren't getting paid, the guys that are making a hundred million for a fight, you know, at one point. Conor McGregor's talking about you know he was he was online with food stamps and only five years ago or less than five yeah. years ago and how many fights has he been in that he probably made fifty bucks for maybe he didn't get paid for and how right. many training camps you know to me that's that's how they get to that big payday it's uh, to just say like oh yeah I'd, I'd go in there I agree with you hundred percent it's not about the taking the punch it's about all the other it's about all the other stuff yeah and you get that on a on a daily basis with your athletes and. Yeah, that's the that's that we kind of touched upon it a little bit in the beginning. It, it's it's you know that the whole thing with the money. Yes, pro athletes, a lot of them get get paid a lot of money. People could make a you know make the argument it's it's too much compared to other professions. But that's you know he neither here nor there. It's that a lot of them don't do it. Yes, I'm sure they're they're happy what they get paid for, but it, it's that competitive and just that drive to be the best like not everybody gets into i don't think every boxer might do it because someday they're going to make a hundred million dollars because the odds of that actually happening are are not that much you know or very slim or even people see pro athletes and they they only talk about the ones making a hundred million and 50 million yeah. like people don't realize like if you're on an nFL roster or you know even you know better than in lacrosse, like you could be a quote unquote pro athlete and they're not they're not making as much nope. money. There's guys after taxes are making a hundred fifty grand, which is a good living but it's not you know everybody thinks because you have a pro yeah. football uniform on or a lacrosse uniform your life is good like there's guys that are, probably have jobs on the side and you never hear about them you hear the one percent of the one percent that's making the ridiculous amount of money but then there's 90 plus percent of pro athletes who yeah, they're okay for that short period—three years, four years—but they're not—they're not set for the rest of their life. So yep. it's about much more than the money. It, there's a lot of other stuff that's involved, and th- the the best ones—and I'm not talking from a money standpoint—the best athletes I've worked with, from a uh, a standpoint of guys that I, girls that I enjoyed working with, it was just because they they loved what they were doing, and it's this competitiveness and just the the drive to be the best at what you do and that i admire and i think everybody should be that way whether you're a teacher a police officer you know a pro lacrosse player if i i look at it this way maybe it's not the, your dream job maybe it's a stepping stone to the next job but you're doing it now and you have to be there from 9 to 5 so instead of bitching and complaining about it do an amazing job and then who knows what that'll lead to maybe somebody sees you and you do get that a job that pays a ridiculous amount of money, but if if you're going to work each day and you're just complaining, uh, and I know I got off onto another tangent, but it's just like that that drives me nuts. Is uh, if you're the, the lady that that took my fifteen bucks, uh, you know, when I went over the Lincoln went through the Lincoln Tunnel today was the rudest person like rudest person in the world i had it i had a i had it my my stomach my waist was hanging out of the car because she didn't want to lean yeah. to give me my change She just like her elbow was bent she was talking on the phone and i physically had to roll down my window and crawl out to grab the money from her and she 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 was looking in the other direction and like things like that drive me nuts like you might not like that job, but you're there. You have to sit there anyway. Does it take that much more energy to smile at me and say thank you yeah. and move on my way like that's just one of my things and and a lot of the pro athletes that have been the best for me to work with are the ones that whether they're making a lot of money or not, they're they're doing it for a a higher purpose. And yep. and that's listen, I didn't get into the industry I'm in I didn't open up a 500-square-foot storage closet because I thought someday I was going to be rich. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just did something that well, I loved.
0: Well, I'll tell you, there there are athletes that work incredibly hard and then bitch and moan about it because it's painful I to go through too. all the work. And I was so impressed sitting down um, a week ago with Joe Montana in well, you San got to sit down Francisco. Joe Montana? In San yeah. Francisco. And, My all-time favorite quarterback. And uh, he just said, he, he. it was so clear... That he is incredibly humble and kind. In fact, he he told that to the athletes that he was sitting with. Like, let me let me tell you two things: not outwork the competition, not this and that. Be kind and be humble. And he's like, that goes so long. And I would like to probably end by by suggesting not only is it is is what Joe said around passion and, and Joe you across from me passion and work ethic and that competitiveness. But I bet you have your top athletes walk out of your facility and are like, "Thank you so much."
1: At almost, I would say almost everyone shakes my hand and thanks me yeah. at the end of at the end of every session. Like that's yeah. the type of athlete that we're attracting to my facility. And and I've been in gyms and I've seen personal training sessions where the session's done. Like okay, you're done, and you know the client just they each turn around part ways. And that, to me, that goes a long way that I grew up, I was a Walter Payton was my favorite football player and his nickname was sweetness. And that was his whole thing Mm -hmm. too. hard worker, best player on the team, but as nice to the rookie as, as, and respectful as he, as he was to the team owner. So I could not agree with you more on on that one. It, 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 It takes up no more energy to be nice as it does to bitch and complain. So you might as well just be nice.
0: enjoyed Joe DeFranco and my conversation, please be sure to let us know. Here are two big takeaways for me. Attention to detail. Whether Joe is learning new techniques, training every square inch of his athlete, or driving six hours twice a week to train Triple H, the little things are very important. Number two, educate yourself and create a custom routine that works for you. Get blood work analyzed and consult with a high-performance coach. What works for Joe may not work for me, And what works for me may or may not work for you. Now, continue this conversation with me on social media, at Paul Rabel. And be the first to listen to future episodes, as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one-on-one conversation with New England Patriots head coach, Bill Belichick, Team USA women's soccer captain, Julie Foudy, NFL quarterback, Drew Brees, NBA star, Jeremy Lin, and many more. You can find all these episodes and more on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. There's a shortcut to our show notes, including Joe DeFranco's links, his social media handles, other athlete lists, news, and headlines by visiting suitinguppodcast.com. Shout out to our show sponsor today. Be sure to support them the way you've so graciously supported this show. And as always, I look forward to next week and the opportunity to suit back up with each of you working coin phrase there. Still not sure if it's going to stick. Let me know. Tweet at me, at Paul Rabel. Catch you soon.